Good morning, Crestview Baptist Church. Isn't it good to be in God's house this morning? Amen. Very good. As you may notice, I'm not Chad. Uh, Chad and Laura and Artie and Ginger are still away at the uh, Baptist retreat, and uh, I'm glad we could give them this opportunity to, uh, to go and, and have that time. Uh, announcements this morning is, well, I don't have many. We have a deacons meeting next Sunday morning at 830, so all deacons, please, please make a note of that. Also, after the service next Sunday, we will have our scheduled uh, business meeting. Also, in Artie's absence, we do have a special guest speaker today, Reverend uh, or Pastor Cale Wright, born and raised right here in Cleveland County, and uh, a member at President Ridge, and I, I think he's been involved in some church planning things, and is considering a position down in Southport at the coast as a pastoral position, but for today, we got him. And we're looking forward to hearing the word. I don't know if there's any other announcements. Does anybody from any of the committees have anything they want to share with the congregation? All right, then. Well, let's go to the Lord and uh, prepare our hearts for a time of worship. Thank you. I hope that each of you are get, getting one of our prayer lists um, that we keep out here in the vestibule. And it has all the names of those that we are continuing to pray for. So if you ever have a prayer request, please let Artie know this and we'll add it uh, on the list. Or if you're healthy and wealthy and wise again, let us know and we'll take you off the list. But uh, we do have several of our own members as well as people request <coughs> prayer for friends or a family member that's not a member of the church. But we are going to pray for these that are on our list We've got a whole front and back covered. Um, just wondering if we have anyone else that has not put one on the list that you'd like for us to pray for this morning. Yes, ma'am. Okay, Pam's mother, and she's got COVID and in the hospital right now. Okay, anyone else? Uh, well, we are just so blessed and thankful, and we've seen God working by Jerry being back with us, Doan being back with us, uh, Eunice being back with us, Ruth being back with us, and there's so many others. We know we got those that are grieving, uh, recuperating. I'd like to give you an update on Whitey. He, uh, he had to go back to the doctor this week, and uh, we thought the pain medicine was making him just deathly sick. And the doctor said, no, it's the pain from the 15 repairs in the rotator cuff that they had to fix. So he said, that's your body's way of trying to throw off the pain. So he's doing, he's doing as well as can be expected. So I told Kale and uh, Jim a while ago. So this morning, or during the night, you know, the storm got up pretty bad. Uh, the wind was blowing. He's having to sleep in a recliner. And so I was in the bed, and he was in the recliner. Well, the day before his surgery, we finally took our Christmas wreaths down. And there was one door upstairs that has steps that go upstairs. So um, I opened that door, took that wreath down, and, you know, we're good. But last night, during the storm, we didn't set the alarm. But when a door is opened... There's a ding-ding to let you know a door is open. So the wind blew that door upstairs open. Obviously, I had not closed it tight enough, but Whitey thinks there's a burglar in the house. <laughs> he jumps up, comes, wakes me up, and he's scrounging around for a gun, and so I'm following behind him like this, and... Uh, I've got my phone ready to, uh, 911, I'm just ready to hit send, and got the flashlight, and we went and checked every door, we had to go downstairs, and finally we start upstairs, and we can feel the cold air just blowing, so, you know, we're ready, we're sure somebody's up there, <laughs> and so, uh, get over there to the door, and there's no wet footprints, so we figured out that I just had not shut the door good enough, so needless to say, now he's miserable. He jumped up, he used his arm, he moved his shoulder. 
So he cannot move this morning. So extra prayer for Whitey this morning. But uh, again, he's, for what he had done, he, he is improving. Anyone else on a prayer request? Well, we're going to ask our guest speaker, Kale, to come and do our pastoral prayer for us at this time. And again, if you don't have one of these, pick it up on your way out so you can continue praying for our friends, our family members throughout the week. Good morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we, um, we just come before you this morning. We um, come with maybe a lot of different things on our minds this morning. We have a, a lot of concerns of our own, and we have a lot of concerns for those who are going through difficult times right now, who are sick and who are battling and who are in desperate need of your healing hand. And um, we just lift them up to you today, Lord. You know who they are. You know what their needs are. And we know, Lord, that you call on us to be your hands and feet and to help in those times of need to continue to pray and lift up those people who are going, going through a hard time. We know, Lord, that we saw sometimes come in here today with uh, a lot of things on our minds, a lot of worries, a lot of issues in our life that we need your healing hand upon us. And so whatever we're bringing in today, we just pray, Lord, that your hand will be upon us, that you would remove our anxieties, that you would uh, fill us with your peace, open up our hearts, that we may give ourselves to you fully today, as you are so worthy of our worship. We just pray, Lord, today that you will just open up our hearts and minds to the songs that will be played and the words that will be spoken so that it may impact our lives for you. And we lift this up in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand at this time as we sing our call to worship, page 138 at Calvary. We'll sing the first and the last verses, and then we will have our time of worshiping by giving our gifts of tithes and offerings. 138.
Pray with me, please. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for all the blessings you pour out upon this church. And now as we offer back our humble tithes and offerings to you, we pray that you would take them and do much more with them than we care to do ourselves. And thank you for blessing us so much. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand again as we sing our um, hymn of praise, 136, Are You Washed in the Blood? 136. We'll sing the first and last verses. <laughs> children's moments. Anybody else want to come? Just have a seat in the floor. There we go. I'm going to need you guys to turn around. If y'all will turn around this way so you can see me, okay? Now, some of you are visitors, some of you are members, have been coming here for a long time, and so some of you know everybody, some of you might know anybody, but we are made up of families here, and a church is like one big family, so we are going to meet some of the people from a visiting family this morning. Now, their last name is Tater. Have you ever met anybody with the last name Tater? Okay. Well, first person you're going to meet, his name is Dick. Dick Tater. And I just happen to have him with me this morning. There he is. Dick Tater. Okay. Now, if you look around, you might see Dick Tater in this church. But I'm going to read you what some of the people said about Dick. Dick always has to be the boss. He always tells everyone what to do. He wants to be the ch That's right. That's right. Not Dick. That's right. <laughs> he wants to be the chairman of every committee. But you know what? He never does the work. He just wants to tell everybody else what to do. And if he doesn't get his way, you know what happens? He doesn't come back to church. So that's Dick. The next person we're going to meet is Speck. This is Spectator. <laughs> He's cute. <laughs> but let me tell you what some of the people have said about Spectator. He just doesn't want to get involved in anything. He doesn't want any jobs in the church. He just wants to sit sit back and watch everybody else do the work. Of course, if they don't do the job to suit him, he'll be the first one to criticize and find fault in what they've done. Speck can watch others for hours working, but he never gets involved. So that is old spectator. The next member of the family 
is, let me find, Heza. This is Heza. Hesitator. <laughs> so, oh, Hesitator, let me tell you about Hesitator. Oh, Hesitator's asked to help in the church a lot. She comes, but when they ask her to get involved in the church and do something, oh, Heza just says an excuse like, I'm too tired. I've worked all day like the other people haven't worked. Or I've been at school all day. I don't want to like everybody else hasn't been to school. So Hesitator always has an excuse. But you know what? God gave Hesitator some gifts to be using in the church. And Hesitator's not using their gifts because they keep putting things off. Well, then we have Agi. Oh, Agitator. <laughs> this is Agitator. I'm going to put old Agi right there. <laughs> now, when Edgy was in school, she couldn't get along with anybody. She just didn't play well with anybody. And even as she got older, she just didn't play well. She always wanted to start trouble. She always wanted to just have somebody fussing with somebody else. She would, if things didn't go her way, or if she didn't like somebody, she'd start telling a rumor or something that wasn't true on them just to keep things stirred up. So she, she's good at starting trouble. Now, I had some others that just couldn't make it this morning. We got imitator. Now, Emma, she will not let God use her for what he has blessed her with. Instead, she wants to look like everybody else. She wants to wear hair just like everybody else, dress like everybody else. She will not be her own self because she's afraid somebody might make fun of her. And there's others in the family like commentator, <laughs> so we, we, there's a big family but then let's talk about the kids you know what we call the, all the kids in that family tater tots <laughs> now these tater tots are not ripe yet they're not ready because they're still little now we got a problem yep. so we got a problem and we got something good they're going to imitate somebody. Now, so far, we haven't got anybody that sounds like they're too good to imitate or to be like. Oh, I forgot about Sweet Tater. <laughs> <laughs> now, Miss Sweet Tater, let me tell you about her. Now, this is what everybody else says about her. I didn't come up with this. This is what everybody else says. Oh, Sweet Tater always has something nice to say about everyone else. She never insists on having her own way. And she never gets mad, and she doesn't get her feelings hurt. She really shows what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Now, do you know what those are? I think y'all been studying those in children's church. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Sweet tater. She's an ideal member of the church. If you're going to pattern your life after anybody, let's try to follow Sweet Tater. She has a great attitude. She's faithful. She's committed. She's supportive, and she's involved. Now, you guys, like I said, y'all are young, and you still got plenty of time to make your mind up who you're going to be like. But our prayer this morning is that you're going to be more like some of the members of this church, Sweet Tater. Now, if you're a parent out there or a guardian or a teacher, if you're an adult out there, you're one of these. Who are you patterning your life for these kids to follow? Let us pray. Our dear Lord, as we choose the top family member, we're going to be at Crestview Baptist Church or wherever we go, I pray, dear Lord, that we'll make the right choices. We'll follow the people that others can see God through. I pray that you'll bless these children that are here, be with them, and just, just help them to learn at a young age how important it is to be a sweet tater in any church. For it is your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Uh, are they going to have children's church?
Yes. Uh, guys, we're going to let y'all go on out with Miss Laura and Michaela right now for Children's Church, and thank you.
on the pulpit, uh, Pastor Kale Wright. Good morning, Crestview Church. Uh, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you today. Um, Amy, and I, I, Amy and myself have uh, been visiting since uh, Christmas, and I just wanted to tell you that since we've been coming here, we've been to several different churches, but this has to be one of the friendliest churches and welcoming churches that we've ever been uh fortunate enough to visit and so we just uh thank you for that and are deeply grateful for that i'll tell you a funny little little story um last sunday before coming to church i was praying and i was feeling sorry for myself a little bit and i hadn't preached in a while and i was like lord uh, i don't know what what's going on here I haven't been able to be, in, be, be used by you in quite a while, and, or it seemed like quite a while. And as soon as I walked in the door Sunday, before I could even hardly get, get, get sat down, I already said, hey, Kel, can you come here a minute? I said, what? He said, can you preach for me next Sunday? I said, yeah, I'll be glad to. And so that's a reminder, if you want to be put to work, God will put you to work if you ask him. Um, one of the things I love about already hearing him preach is he likes to get interactive with his congregation. He's not afraid to do that. Um, and so I want to ask you this morning, when was the last time somebody came up to you and asked you how to get to heaven? I want you to raise your hand this morning if it's been this week. Has it been in the last month? Has it been in the last year? You got two? Has it been ever? Okay. Um, chances are you may not ever get to answer that question. Uh, but a better question might be is, would you be able to know how to answer that question if somebody asked you? What if it was your child? What if it was a teenager? What if it was a fellow adult? Would you know how to be able to answer that question if somebody asked you that? How do you get to heaven? And the truth is, most people don't sit around thinking about eternity. People have jobs. They have responsibility. They have families. Often eternity is not something on our minds a lot of times. For others, eternity and heaven is not really a question because I'm going there. That's the assumption. When God looks at my full body of work, when he lays it all out and sees, sees what I've done, surely he is going to allow me to into heaven because I'm really a pretty good guy. I'm really a pretty good gal. Maybe a little rough around the edges here and there. But overall, I'm pretty good. I saw an article that came from Christian Headlines back in 2020 that reported in a survey that half of Americans say that doing good deeds will get you into heaven. That being a good person will actually be what it takes to get you into heaven. That same survey found that 54% of people believe they will get to heaven after they die, as opposed to only 2% believe they're going to hell. That 2% I can definitely believe because I don't know of many people thinking that they're a candidate for hell, do you? But I think if you think about that survey and the way our nation is heading morally and spiritually today, Something just, just don't quite add up. 
Because if good deeds could get you to heaven, I think you would see a lot more good deeds out here in this world than you would bad. But I'm seeing a lot of the opposite, and I'm sure you are too. I believe you could say there is a spiritual disconnect um, from what the average person believes about how you can get to heaven from what Scripture actually teaches. And I believe this is not just a problem for people outside the church, but maybe even some of us within the church as well. This is why we as a church must continue to proclaim the true gospel, the true gospel that comes from the pages of this scripture. There is no other gospel. This is the only true gospel. It comes from the pages of this scripture. And this whole prospect of gaining heaven, wanting to know how to get there, was on the mind of another young man. Another young man from Scripture. He wanted to know how he could gain eternal life, how he could be with God forever. He wanted that inheritance. It was an issue for him. He's probably a, he was a Jewish young man, probably in his 30s, no doubt a student of the law of Moses. He knew the commandments. Luke's gospel tells us he was a ruler meaning he had some type of position, probably within the synagogue. Often in your Bible, you might see he is called the rich young ruler. But really, he was middle class, maybe slightly above. Probably, in terms of owning, probably owned far less than what the average American owns today. And I make a point to fill that in this morning because... When we hear a story about somebody who has money or has possessions, there's always a temptation to try to divorce ourselves from that person because we all like to tend to compare ourselves to someone else and we say that that person's a lot richer than I am. And so there's a tendency to want to divorce ourselves from stories like this. But on this day, possessions were not at the forefront of this man's mind. He had weightier issues on his mind. That whole question of gaining eternal life was so important to this young man. It concerned him so much, it was on his mind that it says in Scripture that he came running to Jesus and he knelt down before Jesus. And in those days, a Jewish man running in a long garment was not proper because he would have had to pull it up. And so it would not have been seen as proper in that culture for him to do that, but he didn't care. He wanted to know. It was on his mind. It was bothering him. And so he wanted to know what it was he needed to do to gain eternal life. And I want, to want you to see this morning what Jesus tells him in Mark 10, 17 through 22, if you have your Bible. Turn to Mark 10, 17 through 22. Verse 17, I'll read, Now as he was going out on the road, one, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Now before Jesus answers that million dollar question that he's wanting to know, he's like, hold up a minute. This young man, he's coming in hot. He's sliding in there on him. Okay, if you can sort of get that visual in your mind of somebody sliding into third base, this man's sliding in on Jesus. He wants to know this question. It ain't that Jesus don't know it. But Jesus says, says hold up a minute, I've got, got another question I want to ask you. And listen to what Jesus' response is. So he says, so Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. He asked him that question. That's an important question. Why do you call me good? Now, Jesus was not saying that he was not good. He was not denying his own deity. He says in John that I and the Father are one. But Jesus is trying to do a couple things here for this young man. Even though Jesus was God, he did not use his position.
to his advantage. And so Jesus, in all humility, gives preference to his own father and says only God is good. Secondly, he wants him to think about that question. He wants him to really think about that question, what it really means to be good. Because the word good here in Mark means to be good by our very nature, to be intrinsically good in everything, good in our thoughts, good in our ways, good in all things to be perfect. That's what the level of good here was. And this whole concept of being good takes me back to when I first became a Christian at the age of 21. When God saves you, he puts this new fire in your belly. He puts his spirit in there. And so one of the things you want to do often as a new believer is you want to go out and tell somebody. You want to share that good news with somebody of what God has done for you. And so you get to thinking, who can I evangelize? Who can I pick? And often we don't even wait on God when we're a new believer. We just go. We don't even allow him to even move us in that right direction. It's on our mind. We're so excited. We want to just go and share. And so as I was thinking of who I could evangelize, my best friend Matt from high school, he got to be the lucky one. And I can remember we were riding one afternoon. We were riding in a car together. We just, I think we'd been playing golf together. And I began to share with him what Christ had done for me, how I was not the same person I used to be from high school, and how he could also change his life as well. And as I began to share that with him, the first thing that came to his mind in his response was, Kale, I'm not a bad person. I'm not a bad guy. And he wasn't. He really wasn't that bad a guy. But he kept saying that over and over. He kept saying, Kale, I'm a good person. Yeah, I do a few things here and there, but overall, I'm a pretty good guy. And the more I tried to explain to him that it wasn't about being good, it was like a tape recorder, kept going on and off. I'm a good person. And I could sense that frustration within him. There was a spiritual disconnect. We weren't connecting there. And for some of you in here, the Holy Spirit may have been working on your own heart, helping you to see your need for Christ, and you've been rationalizing in your mind that I'm not really that bad a person. But what does Scripture say about us? Psalm 52, 2 through 3, God looks down from heaven upon the children of man to see if any are, if are any who understand, who seek God. Every one of them has turned aside. They have together been, become corrupt. There is no one who does good. You don't have to be a theologian to understand that passage. You might not agree with that. You may not fully see yourself as corrupt. But I want to remind you, church, we are not the judge of ourselves. Only God is. Romans 3.23 is another passage. If you've studied the Roman road, I'm sure a lot of you have. You've been in church. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This first means we miss the mark. We don't measure up to what God's standard is of holy living. Our best deeds are like filthy rags, the scripture says, thrown before him. That word sin elsewhere is synonymous with that which is evil and bad. I want to ask you something. You ever had an evil thought that come to your mind? that you were so ashamed of, you were like, I hope nobody ever knows that. I have. We all have. We are the direct opposite of being intrinsically good like God. We are inherently evil. No matter how unpopular that is to hear in our society today, our world will tell you that any immoral 
behavior can be good if the person deems it good. Well, I don't care what society says about immoral behavior and some of the shameful things I'm seeing today. I care about what this word says. And this word says different. But our flesh within us, it screams that we're not really as bad as what the scripture teaches. Even as Christians, there's a really a temptation within each one of us to avoid self-examination. We pretend like everything's okay. We don't like to stop and meditate and ask God to really reveal what's going on in here. It's easier just to keep going through the motions, isn't it? And so we look past our own brokenness, the problems with our own families, our own idols, our addictions that we suffer with, and we look at someone else convince ourselves that he or she is worse off than I am. It's sometimes a breath of fresh air, if we're honest, to take a step back and look away from our own problems and our own things going on inside of us and look on the heart of somebody else. That's why we're quick to pick up that mantle to gossip and slander and tear down one another. Instead of really examining ourselves to see if our relationship with, with Christ is either on solid or shaky ground. Jesus says to the young man in verse 19, he says, you know the commandments. He says, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not fraud, honor your father and mother. And when you hear Jesus say this, it's almost like Jesus is saying, if you do these good things, if you obey these Ten Commandments, then you can earn your spot in heaven. That's what it almost sounds like. But we know that's not to be true because Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. So we know that's not what he really means here. But what Jesus is doing here is he's giving this young man the last six commandments in order to begin to pull the shades back a little bit. To ever so gently pull them back to the fact that he has been ignoring the first four commandments, that God is to be first, he is to be worshipped only, and all allegiance is supposed to be given to him over everyone and everything else. He's trying to help him see. He's opened up the shades of his heart. This man's devotion was to living a life of status in the community. He wanted the finer things in life, and he had them. He loved his possessions. He loved what he had. And before we think that it's not okay to have money or possessions, the Bible clearly does not say that. It's the love of those things that the Bible is against. Abraham and Job was two of the most wealthiest men in the Bible, and yet they were godly men. And so money and possessions were not the problem for this young man. I want us to see that. But listen to what this young man says to Jesus next here in verse 20. I have kept them all since I was a child. I want you to remember that word I. I want you to circle it, either in your mind or in your Bible. Because it's brimming with self-righteousness. Jesus, I've already kept all these commands. I've already done that. It's almost like there may be a little frustration there because I've already done that. I still need to know what the answer is to gain eternal life. I heard Pastor Alistair Begg one time in a message say, if you were to die and you were brought before God and it was asked of you why I should allow you into my kingdom, if the first thing that comes to your mind is, well, I, I'm a pastor. I'll lead the music. I'll lead the children's ministry. I'm a deacon. He said, if that's the first thing that comes to your mind, you're already in trouble. 
The first thing that comes that should come to our minds is, if God asked us that, would be, I'm here because of Christ and Christ alone. Jesus, because he is God, he sees everything, past, present, present, future, all at the same time. He could have squatted down at that moment with this young man. He could have begun to write in the ground like he did with the scribes and Pharisees who drugged that woman out, caught in adultery. He could have wrote down his sins right there and exposed that young man and embarrassed him about who he truly was and what he was really worshiping and prove that his testimony was false. He could have done that. But I want you to look at, see what he does here in verse 21. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. Here in verse 21, instead of Jesus pointing to his hypocrisy, he looks upon this young man with a deep, affectionate love. He looks upon him with gentleness, with mercy, as a mother would her newborn child. That's how Jesus responds to this young man. And isn't it comforting, church, that even amongst our failures, even amongst our good intentions of I'm going to do better, I'm going to give you more of myself, Lord, I'm going to lay this habit down once and for all, that even when we don't do those things like we desire to, that Christ looks upon us with a gentle, kind, merciful love. That should make us all feel good today. That that's how Christ looks at each and every one of us with the same mercy as he looked at this young man. His love is not based on our performance. It's unconditional, it's unwavering, and it's constant because he is good. But as we read further in 21, we also know that Jesus knows what sits on the throne of our hearts. Jesus says to the young man, if you really want to know what it takes to gain eternal life in heaven, there's still one thing you're lacking. And Jesus drops this bomb on this young man. It's a bomb of love, though. And he says, go your way. I want, I want you to go back. I want you to go sell all your possessions. I want you to give them to the poor. I want you then to take up your cross, and I want you to follow me. And I believe at this moment, this is when this young man begins to rise back up. Rise back up in disbelief and disappointment. Disbelief because this was not the answer he was looking for. There had to be more to it than that. And in disappointment that he would have to give up what he truly loved. To do what Jesus was asking of him would have been requiring a social makeover. He would have had to start all over. If you sold your property, if you gave it to the poor, it would have been like filing bankruptcy today. You would have had to start all over again. And instead of hanging out with the well-to-dos in his society, he would have been in the faith community where instead of being served, serving was the motto of the day. And he was not ready for that. That's not what he wanted. And yet it wasn't his possessions that Jesus had an issue with. It was the fact that status and material possessions occupied the throne of his heart. He needed to die to those things if he wanted to truly live forever. He had to let it let go. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 16, he says to his disciples, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. 
but whoever loses his life for me will find it. Jesus says for me and you, if we want to truly save our life, we must be willing to lose it. We must be willing to give it up like this young man. That means our will, our desire to be in control, our plans to rule our own life. We must be willing to give it up, and if we're willing to do that, Jesus says, you will find the life that you've always wanted. You will find that abundant life. You will find that hope. You will find that peace, and you will find that security that when you die, you will go to heaven. For what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Think about that. What can you gain if you gain everything in this world and you bring all these pleasures in and you fill yourselves with a good retirement, nothing wrong with that, but if you fill yourselves with all these things, all these material things, at the end of your life, what is it going to be worth? It's not worth your soul. Your soul is the most precious thing that God has given you. And Jesus says, give him your life and your soul will be with him. This young man, he desired to save his soul. That's why he came running. He came running to Jesus, but when it was time to give up his life, he wasn't willing to give it to the one standing before him in order to save it. And so ultimately, he missed God's best for his life. He missed God's best plan. And it's easy, I said, to distance ourselves in some way. Money may not be our hang-up. It may be something else. It may be sports. It may be politics. It may be a number of things. Only the Lord knows and you know what truly occupies the throne of your heart. And so it's easy to try to distance ourselves from this guy. But remember, the issue wasn't his possessions. It was where his devotion was. Jesus wanted his devotion to be with him. And that's what he wants for each and every one of us. So let's get our focus off this young man briefly for a minute. And let's focus upon ourselves. Allow the spirit to work. And I want to ask you this morning, who or what sits on the throne of your heart? Where do you place your trust? Where do you place your security? One of the evidences of that is where your checkbook says that you spend your money. What are you passionate about? What do you live for each day? When you get up, what are you excited about? Are you excited about Jesus, or is it something else? We need to ask ourselves that. And you may be a Christian this morning, but if you examine yourself this morning, ask yourself, does Jesus truly sit on the throne of my heart, or have I allowed something else to push him off that seat? And one of the evidences of whether Christ sits on our heart is how we love and treat other people. When Christ sits on the throne of your heart, his spirit is going to flow through you. You're going to have those fruits of the spirit that was mentioned this morning. You're going to have that love. You're going to have that joy, that peace, that kindness, that self-control. And if you're ruling your heart, you're not going to have that. You're going to be nasty. I've been nasty. You're going to get bitter. You're going to get resentful. You're going to struggle with unforgiveness. If you're trying to rule your own heart. A late drafted rookie quarterback named Brock Purdy recently led the 49ers in the playoffs on an 11-game win streak before losing to the Eagles. He said in an interview recently that his relationship with Jesus Christ was where his true identity lies. But in that same interview, he said while he was in college at Iowa State, he lost sight of that. And he realized that football had become his number one over his relationship with Christ until he asked God to forgive him. And so as you look at your life today, 
Where is your identity? Is it in Christ? Can people see that? Can your children see that? Can your friends see that? Can your co-workers see that? Do they see that within you? Do they see that within me? Because if they do not see Christ in you, then something is amiss. And the problem's not with them, it's with me or you. Because somewhere along the line, our profession isn't matching up with our lifestyle. And so they can't see Christ, then there's a problem. And we need to deal with that. As we close out in verse 22, it says, But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. The end of this story reminds us that the Bible is not Hollywood. There's not always a great end to that story. When given the choice of receiving God's best, eternal life, a walk with Christ the rest of his days on into eternity, he looked at his possessions, he looked at what he had, his security, his bank account, all the things that meant a lot to him, and he said it just isn't worth it. And he left, the Bible says, sorrowful and full of grief. He missed out on God's very best. And to tell you the truth, church, the one that was most sorrowful and most grieved that day was Jesus. Because he watched this young man walk away. And he was missing God's very best plan for his life. Matthew 23, 37, Jesus laments over Jerusalem, he grieves over Jerusalem, he weeps over them, and he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. That's how Jesus looks at every one of us. It don't matter what you've done. It don't matter what you've done last night. It don't matter what you've done in the past 10 years ago. Jesus looks at every one of us in this room, including myself, as a hen wanting to gather her chicks in and provide them that security, that hope, and that peace that only he can bring. That's Jesus' desire for every person in this room today. That's what he wants for you. When I was 15, at a revival service, I walked an aisle pretty, pretty much like this aisle right here. It was one Sunday evening. Preacher was preaching a revival message. Old heart started thumping. I walked down to the front, and I gave my life to Christ that night. I made a commitment. But a few short months later, as I began to share that with my friends, I began to watch them gradually walk away because they weren't interested in that. And so I decided at that moment that since they were walking away, I was going to walk away too. And I decided to walk away like this young man walked away as well. I went the next six years miserable, going down road after road of pleasure only to find dead ends until I finally gave my life to Christ and followed him. This man couldn't do enough. He could not do enough to earn his way. You and I cannot do enough to earn our way to God. God's already provided the antidote to that. He's already given us the solution. If we could earn our way, then Christ would have never needed to come. The cross would have never been necessary. But we could not do it on our own. 
And so I urge any of you today, don't let this rich man's story become your story. Start a new chapter. Give your life to Christ, and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to heaven. He will give you that eternal security, and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And so if the Holy Spirit's convicting you today, if he's dealing with you on something that you need to deal with, making a true commitment maybe for the first time, then today is the day. The Bible says today is the day for salvation. We don't know if tomorrow's coming. And if you're a believer, you've already made that commitment, and you're not walking with Christ like you once did, and you can feel it, you can sense it, you're lacking that peace that you once had, then make today the day that you make it right with him. If something's come in and pushed him off the throne of your heart, surrender it to him today, and he will restore you back. I'm going to be down front. If there's a decision that you need to make, if there's something that God is dealing with you with today, I'll be down here to assist with you in prayer and be glad to help you in any way I can or if you just want to come to the altar. Come as the Lord leads you. Would you stand as we sing our invitational hymn, number 135, Nothing But the Blood, 135. sin, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No Thank you, Pastor Kill. We really appreciate you speaking through with this morning and sharing the word. And uh, I'd like to mention too, if there are any visitors with us today, if you if there may be some visitor cards in the pews. If not, we have a few on the little vestibule outside. If you'll uh, fill one of those out with your information and leave it out there for so we have a record of your uh, visit with us, we'd appreciate it. This time, I'm going to call upon our deacon, uh, Brother Jim Kinder, to come and dismiss us in prayer. We're going to ask Kale and his wife, if y'all will meet us out there, everybody would love to greet you today. Yes. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, thank you um, for allowing us to be here today. Um, it occurred to me this week that your spirit led me to contemplate one point, and that is our, our prayer life. And um, I sense that we ask for a lot. We ask for your blessings, your favors, maybe even healing and whatever else. And uh, whether those petitions are granted or not, um, and, and especially when they are, we seem to uh, move on from there and not thank you enough. And I think many people can identify with this that we don't, we aren't thankful enough in in all aspects. And um, at minimum, of course, we should be thankful for another week of life that you've granted us, and then the opportunity to be here today and worship you and 
the fact that Pastor Kale came here and gave us his spoken message and enlightened us. And um, there's just so many things that we we um, we have that we we seem not to be grateful enough for or thankful enough for, and uh, that seems to be something that we're somewhat deficient in. And I, I, like I say, I think you can. I think a lot of people can relate to that, and uh, myself included, and uh, guilty as charged. But um, that's that's our, our human nature, and, and that's what we do. But the biggest gift, of course, um, is the, the gift of our salvation and the, the gift you've given us of eternal life and uh, given us the opportunity uh, through your son, Jesus, and... Uh, that's the biggest thing to be thankful for and to be, uh, for us to be aware of. And, uh, uh, but to be thankful in all things, but especially for that. Um, your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.